You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm speaking with faculty members of CalSTAR Yoga, a program that helps people with disabilities practice yoga. I'm Claire Lavery. I'm Saraswati Devi. Welcome to the program. And you're both on the faculty of Cal Yoga? I guess you could put it that way. Okay, well, why don't you tell us about your program? Well, we call it Cal Star Yoga. And at their recreational sports facility, the RSF, there's a little program called CalSTAR, which serves people who live with different kinds of disabilities, and it's open to the public. So our part of that is an adaptive yoga class. The class has been going on since 1996. Since 1996. Is it for just students or? It's open to anyone with a disability in the community or in on campus, on staff, on faculty, and a member of the gym or um, outside the community, campus community can also join. I, I thought it might be useful for our listeners to know how you define yoga and how you define disabilities. Yoga is an ancient practice, and it's a lot about body and mind health. It comes from an ancient root yug, meaning to join. So it's all about balance of body and mind and the quiet aspects of the self and the more assertive aspects of the self. It has a lot to do with exercise, which is how most people in America know it. But it also has to do with mind training, with making your intellect more sharp and your emotions more clear and peaceful. And some people pursue it as a spiritual practice as well. And could you define disabilities for this class? We define it as someone who is living with some kind of an ongoing condition that limits their presence, their ability to move in the world. Most of our participants have physical disabilities. We don't work too often with people with intellectual disabilities. Are you speaking of autism? Right. So Um, you don't service? um, We've had students with those kinds of disabilities in the class, but they've definitely been in the minority, and it's much more about um, the people who are living with more physical limitations, people with multiple sclerosis, people with cerebral palsy, people with um, post-stroke syndrome, injury trauma. Um, So we've had quite a wide range of different kinds of disabilities represented in our class, and people with multiple disabilities have been long-term members as well. I didn't know that this existed honestly, and I want to know how it got founded. What was the reason behind it? Were you there at the beginning? Well, Saraswati is the one to tell you. Well, I've been practicing and teaching since the mid-70s, and as the years went on, in the beginning, in the early days, we just had everybody in class. We would have kids and seniors and people who were injured or disabled. Everybody would just be glomped together. Here and then, on campus? Um, no, in the community in Berkeley. I was trained by and served very closely a yoga master from India who lived here part of the year. But then as the years went on, we found ourselves specializing. So I began to teach pre- and postnatal yoga and children of all ages and seniors and adults at different levels. And then found myself, partly because I have some of my own disabilities, found myself very attracted to the whole subject of serving a person who was not typically abled. And so found myself to the Multiple Sclerosis Society and other places and began to develop a practice that seemed to be really helping people. And that 
gradually led me to UC Berkeley where I was hired. Well, at first at the Hearst Gym and then down at the did RSF. Did they hear about you and hire you or did you approach They them? did. It's a kind of long convoluted story, but there was a, a really forward-looking woman working in the RSF who hired me. And um, what I have tried to do is in serving a person who is living with a profound disability or multiple disabilities, we're trying to offer them a practice that they would never otherwise have access to. So we're taking yoga to a place that you wouldn't imagine it could go. So somebody might not be able to speak or move outside of a power wheelchair whose body might be contorted or who might be having a lot of involuntary movement and and meeting the whole person. So sometimes a person on the street will see somebody living with a disability and they'll either discount them or not have proper regard and respect for the humanity of that person. They just see a bunch of equipment on a wheelchair. But anybody who comes over the threshold into our class is automatically recognized for their rich humanity and just loved and respected instantly. So what I tried to do is take other disciplines that I recognize as another form of yoga in a way and sort of a broad way of thinking. So I like to add um, massage and acupressure and range of motion and sometimes even using free weights. Do you use water? No, we're not. I, I would if we... There um, are pools here, and I thought maybe... True. Well, I love Acu Yoga, and if we had a way of somehow having a pool, we would do it for sure. Um, but we lift people out of their wheelchairs who are not ambulatory. There'll be four or five or six of us carrying a person proper word is transfer out of the wheelchair onto the floor. And then people who are much more mobile who will arrive in class with mobility aids like a cane or a a walker or even walking on their own in a maybe halting way, they're also in the class. So it's a broad range. I can imagine that you've encountered some really beautiful transformations for people who have never experienced this before. It's a lot of hard work, but it's a joyful experience for all of us, for the students themselves, for Claire, for me, for our volunteers, and for our young undergrads who help us every semester. And how many undergrads help you? Well, we have a range. Um, We often have up to 60 or 70 students. Um, They enroll in an undergraduate course that gives them two credits. It's a decal course. So they come and help us every week. And they learn how? We train them. We supervise them. We keep Um, an eye on them and they blossom. They do wonders. Um, Many of them arrive without any experience. Many of them arrive thinking that they're going to be doing yoga. And um, we tell them right away that's not the case. But some of them decide that's not for them. Some of them despite their fears or trepidations, stay with us and just are wonderful helpers. Are any of these students disabled that come to you? Yes, some of them are. Um, We've had many students who didn't tell us right away that they had a disability, and some are significantly disabled, um, but would gradually feel safe enough to reveal that. And sometimes they found that they couldn't do the kind of heavy lifting or harder work that we asked them to do, and we are fine with having them help in whatever way they can. seems like they would have the most empathy and understanding of where that person might be. Sometimes that's true. Um, Not always, but... Not always. And many of the students who come have a family member with a disability or an aging family member or have had an injury and, and can apply that emotional information to the work that they're doing with the students. And how many of your students are Berkeley students and how many are community members generally? 
At the moment, we don't even have one Berkeley student, but we've often had maybe four, three, four, five, maybe a professor or two. But actually, the better part of the student population is from the surrounding area. Do you do this every semester? We do it all year round, and we have a summer session. Okay. Claire, how did you get involved in this? Well, I had started teaching yoga in the mainstream yoga classes here at Cal and had been doing that just for a couple of years. And the same wonderful woman who hired Saraswati knew me and said, you know, there's this great class that you might like to help with. They're always looking for volunteers. She's still around? No, Suzanne McQuaid, she retired. We miss her terribly. It's been a (laughs) lot of years. We talk about her regularly. We do. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, she's not there. But um, we're trying to keep it going. And she steered me to help out with this class. So I showed up as a volunteer, and I just kind of stayed. I learned a lot. It seems so innovative. Do you know of any other programs anywhere else that are like this, or is this unique? For a lot of years, we thought we were the only place in the country, or maybe beyond. And we're starting to see other somewhat similar programs sprouting up, but we still haven't found anything that that goes as far as we go. And the reason why I say this, once we have the opening of class where we're sitting in concentric circles and doing a little bit of breathing or light meditation, then we will transfer people onto the floor, and then we essentially divide ourselves up into two groups where Claire works with the people who are more ambulatory during that part of the class, and I work with the people who are less mobile. And so with the people who are more mobile, there'll be two, usually two people serving each of the students, and they'll be on the floor, they'll be sitting up, they'll be standing against a wall using chairs and yoga blocks and people's hands. And arms and legs to help hold them with good alignment in yoga postures. And that actually draws up the strength and balance and alignment from within the person's body. It's not just an artificial hold. On my side of the room, we're moving people on the floor in forward and backward bending movements and yoga postures that look pretty conventional, but there might be two or even five or six people clustered around each of the students, holding them at the shoulder, at the low back, um, stretching their feet. And then we incorporate, as I said, a lot of massage and acupressure and, and other methods. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today, I'm speaking with faculty members of CalSTAR Yoga, a program that helps people with disabilities practice yoga. We had a woman who came in the other day, and this is a a few months ago, and she had been injured rather badly in her back and was able to, after her initial rehabilitation, this was probably 20, 15 or 20 years ago, after her initial rehabilitation, she was able to walk at first with a walker and then with a cane, and then she was able to somewhat haltingly walk in a conventional manner, and then as she started to age, gradually she found herself in a wheelchair. However, it's a manual chair, so she gets around quite nicely. But she came in very suspicious, trepidatious, and frankly bitter, understandably. Highly educated, very productive, talented woman. And she was a little resentful, understandably, of of this new loss of, of full action in her body and, and in some ways in her personality and affect and 
affect. And so came into the class and we tried to humor her and love her and respect her. And then she said to us, I feel transformed at the end of the first class. Now she's a very stalwart member. Once you founded this, what challenges, what were your major challenges in getting this up and running and accepted? We've had challenges. Um, initially, the class was really only um, supported by volunteers from the community. And Saraswati would put out messages in the free papers. This was several years ago before there was a big internet presence, posters and flyers and put out the word on the street asking for people to come and volunteer. And so we struggled along and there would only be maybe five volunteers. And we still have about that time 10, 15, 20 yoga students. So we couldn't have two people working with each yoga student. We didn't have the manpower of woman person power. So we would revolve and we'd do some poses with one person and then we'd set them up comfortably and we'd move on to the next. So that was a little difficult. We had a really um, innovative and wonderful undergraduate volunteer who had a brainstorm in about 2003 and said, um, we should make this into a decal class because then students would get credit and then they Well, come. tell me what a decal class is because some people may not know. A decal class is an undergraduate-led class in the university and there are hundreds of them. They range from things like baking hip-hop music to um, electronic engineering theory or you know, more esoteric interests that students in, in Cal hold and want to um, share. And there's credit for course credit. There are course credits. So our student who was interested in social work and in our class really wanted to make this accessible to more Cal undergrads. He thought they'd be interested. And so he went, registered it as a decal, and he was right. People came. When that happened, we had many more students, and we did start to get the numbers of people we wanted to see to really fully support our yoga students. I know Saraswati's dream is to have 75 students every semester so that we can have a really full-bodied support group. Um, and we get pretty close sometimes. Now, do, do students have to pay to get into this class? Yeah, it's a modest fee, and they get a little bit of a discount for proving that they, they might come in in a wheelchair and not able to speak, but they still are required to bring a doctor <laughs> verification. But that's understandable. I wanted to ask you what you think your greatest impacts have been. You've been at this for several years now. Since 1996. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you think have been the greatest impacts or accomplishments? I think as far as the yoga students... Probably the best benefit that they derive from the class is psychological. They feel seen, respected, loved. They are touched. And I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. They're touched in a, a nurturing and helpful way. And many of them also experience good physical effects. They're more relaxed. They feel more cheerful. They have better sleep. Sometimes they have a, a considerable reduction in pain and stiffness. Many of them find that their circulation has improved, their digestion, a whole host of physical benefits. So I would say really in some ways, though, it's more... One of our students who had been coming for some years, um, who is living the after effects of having been assaulted, so he was brain injured. So he has what we would call TBI, traumatic brain injury. It affects his vision. So he's legally blind, almost completely blind. And his brain somehow recovered quite amazingly. So he has a very sharp mind, but very halting speech. So he has a speech aphasia. So he walks and speaks in a halting manner. And uses a cane. So one day he said to us, when I come into this room, I am treated utterly differently from anywhere else that I go. People just see me as a disability and don't see me. So that's a huge part of it. For our yoga students, 
volunteers, the undergrads, we always, at the end of every semester, we ask them to write a reflection paper. And we'll give them a certain theme, but essentially it's asking them in some way or other to tell us what their experience was and what they derived from it. And many of them, well, undergrads often will try to write to what they think the professor wants to hear. But nevertheless, you can hear a lot of sincerity in it, too. Most of them will say they were, they had never met a disabled person with a small exception of some of them who do have, as Claire said, disabled person in their family. Many of them have never met a disabled person, or if they have or seen people in the community, they've discounted them or really not given them much credence or attention. And then they also will say that they were terrified that they were going to do something wrong. They didn't want to touch or hurt anybody. And then they started to get to know our students while we're practicing. There's a lot of really fun gossip and conversation, and everybody's giving each other mutual support and mutual interest in each other's lives. And so they discovered that these are full human beings. Some of them are UC grads. As I said, some are professors. They're all incredibly interesting. And so they find their lives utterly transformed. And we've had a small percentage of, of them also change their majors. We've had some who decided to um, be an attorney, uh, giving uh, pro bono services to people who are disabled. And any number of really interesting trajectories to their story as they moved through the semester and had their their experience transformed. For me, it's impossible to describe. It's each of the people that we serve is an entire universe, as it is for any human being. And I've gotten to know almost all of them, at least those who've stayed for many, many years. I've gotten to know them very well. Some of them have become very dear and close friends. So for me, it's it's like seeing the face of all of creation in the eyes of each person. So I feel like it's the huge super consciousness of the universe, me and this other person in this lovely communication together across all conventional societal membranes, across any way that you might think that there's an encumbrance when you are communicating with someone who is not typically abled. Well, that kind of leads me to the next question, which is, when you're doing these movements, do you also provide um, some sort of a, a lecture on the philosophy of what you were just talking about, which is it's so beyond the physical that we can, you know, reach each other beyond the, the flesh? We do that in a variety of really subtle ways, and we do it increasingly quietly coming in the side door for our young undergrads as the semester goes on through reading assignments, through the opening in class where we give them some internal practices and in some other ways. So I agree. And Sarah Swati said it so beautifully. Um, we don't approach them head on. We, these are skeptical young people <laughs> and um, really don't want to be told what to think or, or how to think. But they do come into class pretty much glazed over and heavy and um, distracted. And in our opening session where we do some meditation and some breathing exercises, you can see them visibly relax. And we have had people, undergraduates, right in the end of the semester that that meditation session was what transformed their experience and how they got to understand what we were really doing. Many of them say that they are now going to start doing yoga. Of course, as we've noted, that might just be so that they look good in our eyes. I do see some of them in my classes, in the mainstream classes. We do have some readings that we ask them to consider. And 
when we veer from the very technical or um, practical readings into a little more theory, they're sometimes a little bit at sea. We've just had them reading the Bhagavad Gita, which is a pretty familiar um, text to many Westerners. But it's dense, and it talks about a lot of mythological people that are not familiar in the Western culture. And that's enough to really put up a wall for many of the students. So when we discuss it, we have to kind of break down and ask them, well, what did they understand? And some of them are just unwilling to engage in that. They want to be their scientists, their practical, their 21st century kids. So some of them get it from the meditation. Some of them get it from the theory and the Bhagavad Gita. Some of them have their own understanding or practice of yoga that they bring with them. And some have other traditions that are congruent or complementary to the kinds of thoughts that we were just discussing. And partly also when we're teaching a technique, because they're, they're learning hands-on as we go over the semester. We're not training them for weeks, and then we have weekend workshops throughout the semester, several of them. But part of what we're doing, too, is we're helping them to see a link between this kind of beautiful, ancient, ritual form of exercise and the quietness and focus of mind and emotion that comes to the yoga student who's being serve, but also comes to the volunteers who are doing the serving. Because here we are, we're holding a little bit challenging position, and we have to breathe slowly. Yes, there is a lot of fun conversation in between, but there's also a lot of slow, deep breathing. And anyone who experiences that kind of breath on a regular basis will find that it has a very focusing effect on the mind and emotions and makes your brain more clear. So one of the things I like to say when we're doing an opening meditation with these undergrads is, this will help your memory, your ability to focus and do well on finals. So sometimes that... That's kind of a carrot. That helps. <laughs> well, this iGen generation, after the millennials, is the first to have grown up with so much technology in their lives. Have you been able to monitor the difference in the students you've had over the years since technology has become so prevalent in their lives? We kind of saw a sea change about 10 years ago in the way the attention spans worked. Um, students are a little um, a little antsy at the start of class. They generally settle in and they can focus. They're intelligent. Um, and they're used to working hard and, and intellectually hard. But they're not always used to working emotionally hard or, or um, focusing in a more subtle way. We do have them take their phones out, turn them off, and put them on the side of the room for class. And that's challenging for a lot of them. We have a little bit of fun with that. <laughs> Probably helps them in school, what you're doing. They've said bit. that. Yeah. So we all benefit. Every, and they, uh, one of the things that they will say to us often is, this was a great ending of my school week. I left class feeling really refreshed and ready for the weekend. Do you have anything else going on that you want to tell us about coming up? People have been asking Claire and me in all of the different universes that she and I both live in, asked if we would please do a teacher training. So we're in the very, very first steps of organizing that, and we're going to do it collaboratively between the two of us and a third person who's been an on-and-off volunteer with us who's very talented. So we're just in the beginning stages of formulating that, and then we have to do outreach and funding and all of that. And where do you see this heading out to? We'd like to serve other yoga teachers who are interested to make a foray into this universe. And many of them, most of them have not. They couldn't even imagine it. And we'd also like to find ways of influencing and giving some practical 
strategies to someone who's a family member or a caregiver who could help someone with a disability at home. It sounds like you've got a lot of data over the years that you maybe collected. We do. It's and it's very informal, but yes. But still, that's very valuable, I would think, from a lot of different people. It would be of value. Are you going to put together guidelines, like a book? There'll be a training manual, yeah. Okay. And it may end up, and we'll see, Claire, but (laughs) we're both so busy, but it may end up that we'll have satellite programs that will come from that where we'll we'll start with a basic uh, teacher training, and then we may find that we'll do some specialty, uh, an extra specialty training over there. We might do some kind of weekend workshoppy kinds of things. We haven't figured it all out yet. But it's something that we really, we have a responsibility to do. We need to share it more widely than just here. We would like to have medical professionals in our trainings that um, would learn a different way to communicate and work with the people they see on a very regular Are basis. Are you talking about physical therapists? Or physical therapists, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, um, the whole spectrum. We want them to be aware that this is an alternative to the very strict regime of drugs and hope. <laughs> you know, we have the father of one of our students who lives with cerebral palsy one time said to me, what you're doing here is much better than most of the doctoring my daughter is ever going to receive. He's a physician. I thought that was maybe a little dramatic, but actually in a lot of cases, I'm sure it's quite true. If somebody is interested in the community, whether that's a student or a a regular person out there, how would they get a hold of you? Do you have a website? And how can they help you or join up? One way is to contact the RSF, the Recreational Sports Facility, on the UC Berkeley campus on Bancroft at Dana, and it's right near the Student Union. Is that reachable via the web? There is an online website presence under CalSTAR. So if you look under Recreational Sports, and there's a drop-down menu, and you'll have to look, I think it's under Group Exercise, or you can type in the search bar CalSTAR, one word, C-A-L, capital S, capital T, capital A, capital R. And that's the program. And if you write CalSTAR Yoga, it should bring you to the page that describes our class. And if people wanted to volunteer, it's the same? It is the same. Place. You go to the same place, whether you want to volunteer or take the class. Right. And in either case, if you're interested in volunteering or in being a student, you could drop in to one of our Friday afternoon classes and just see the first class. And where are those classes located? Where would they go? They're in the RSF, the main gym on campus at Bancroft Way. They're in the combatives room, which is unfortunate for a yoga (laughs) class. It's on the first floor. You'll have to tell the guard at the gate that you're going to CalSTAR Yoga, and they'll let you in, and you'll walk down the hall. It's the last door on your left. Okay. And how long are your sessions, generally? We are we meet from 1.30 to 3.30 Friday afternoons That's every great. week. I like sometimes for someone who's inquiring, who might be interested, who really wants a description of the class beforehand. Some people like to just jump in. Everybody has a different way. I would be happy to give my email address. If somebody wanted to contact me, I would be very pleased to describe the program and just try to light a little psychological fire in the person. Okay, so it's that? info at yoga. Yogalayam.org. I teach and live in a yoga and meditation center. So Yogalayam is all one word spelled Y-O-G-A-L-A-Y-A-M as in Mary dot org. And it is a good idea before joining the class, especially as a yoga student, to communicate with us so that we can both understand what you're going to um, experience. Before we leave today, I wanted to ask you what advice you might give someone before they start this program. 
And I believe you're talking about people who would come in as a volunteer and also people who would come in as a yoga student. Mm -hmm. I would say for the volunteers, please come with an open mind and realize that you will probably learn more than you thought you could and that you will enjoy what you're doing and feel a certain psychological upliftment that you might not ever have imagined you could. For the yoga students, again, I would ask the person to come to the class with an open mind and see if they feel like it's a good fit and give themselves a chance coming even more than once to see how we can stretch the practice to accommodate anyone's needs. I would also just advise everyone who comes to come with an open heart and to be open to the transformations that might not feel um, familiar. It seems like this is such a valuable experience for anyone of any age to to take part in. I would say the human body, mind, and heart have an amazing ability to survive. If you find yourself, yourself compromised in some way, if you're not able to garner all of the, the themes and abilities and structures and functions that you typically have or used to have, other people can come in and make up some of that difference. They can support you not only physically with their hands, but really I would say psycho-spiritually surrounding you and helping you to find and sustain what is profound and essential in yourself, even if you can't do it all by yourself. I can say from my experience, I'm an able-bodied yoga instructor. I have been fortunate to be fairly strong and healthy. I get so much out of this class. I get emotionally an uplift. I get a calming effect. I get love. And I'm a cynical New Yorker, so it worked for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll be back again in two weeks.